Stick with this flame, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on another fantastic guest. He is a filmmaker and a director, and this is Tyrese Lamptey. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No doubt, ma'am. Happy to have you on. So I've done a super brief intro right there, Tyrese, but for people who don't know, please introduce yourself. Okay. Well, uh, um, my name is Tyrese Addison Lamptey. I'm a filmmaker from Northwest London. I've been over maybe 10 years dedicated to the art of storytelling and um, capturing the essence of humanity. I also believe in visual storytelling as a leverage of communicating with the audience on a deeper and more meaningful level. And yeah, I'm just thrilled to be able to share my journey and some insights with not only just you, but with your audience as well. Awesome. How did you get into filmmaking? Well, that's an interesting question because um, I don't have a very glamorous story like some of the other film directors. Like, there's no story of me holding a Super 8 camera when I was like eight years old. Um, my background was I started out trying to qualify for the Olympics and then my parents, who were supportive, they were just like, okay, but you need a backup plan just in case you do get an injury or something happens. So from there, after I finished year 11, I had two options, which was either business or media. And at the time, I just felt like I had no business doing business. So I just chose media. And then from there, it was like we, we were set an assignment to create an advert. And my teacher at the time was just like, she saw it and she was like, that is really impressive. And from there, it was just like, she sort of gave me that confidence. So I remember going home that afternoon and I was just sat at my computer. I started researching film directing and stuff like that. And then I started to watch behind the scenes like of famous films. And then I just never looked back from that point onwards. That's interesting. Uh, out of interest, what what sport were you competing in? Uh, taekwondo. Okay, interesting. Do you still do it now? Yeah, I train here and there whenever I have the time. That's awesome, man. Okay, so you have this spark of wanting to get into filmmaking and you start doing some research. And what was the next stage? So the next stage was learning how to write. So after I, I left my sixth form, I went to college and there I started to learn how to really write and learn the difference between um, stage play and screenplay. And that for me was a big enlightening moment because I never, like, the moment I started learning about film, I started writing, but my format was always in stage rather than it being like an actual screenplay. So I think for me, that was like the key moment, just learning how to tell a story and like how to connect the dots, whether finding your writing style, whether it's linear or non-linear. So that, that was the next stage for me. Okay. So when did you become a professional? Because obviously you, you start out, you're going to college, you're honing your skills at what point was this like okay this is my this is my job i'm a professional filmmaker now to be honest after i fell in love with the whole storytelling aspect i didn't know anything else at that point i was i became obsessed i started watching films and i just like critique it and just be like okay i i could have done this differently and then I, I made a film in 2016. It was a short film, but it was almost like a middle finger to the industry because it was almost like 
with being a black filmmaker, there's always this stereotype of like, oh, you must tell this exact story about your community, about this, about that. And I didn't want to play that game. Like, just because of my skin colour doesn't mean that these are the types of stories that I must tell. So from that point onwards, after I made that film, um, it was nominated in several film festivals. And I think I got a mention, like a, a honorary mention for one of the best short films. And then from that point onwards, I learned from that and then went on to the next project. Okay. And what was that film and what was it about? Well, the next one. Um, well, the first one and then the second one. You you, you said you did the film, one. but what, what was it? Yeah. So the first film was called uh, Fortuna. And that one was about a black man that was almost fighting against the system. But it sort of played on the idea of discrimination within the workplace and the choices that we have. So where the the whole narrative is, oh, um, there's systematic oppression and all of that stuff, I played off the idea to say, okay, even if there is, we still have choices. And it's within us to make the right decision. So that film was just uh, almost like, not to inspire, but just for people to think more about like the choices that they make. I hear that. And that, that's an important message as well, because we live in a time and uh, you know, we live in an, a time where everybody wants to be a victim. <laughs> You know, yes. um, regardless of their whatever sex they are, whatever race, whatever ethnicity, whatever status, it seems like there's a, rather than a race to a t race to the top, there's almost like a a race to the bottom of the perceived, I don't know, power scale or privilege scale. And it's something that is, I mean, I understand it psychologically on one level, but it's also rather bewildering to me. Because, of course, yeah. we all as individual, firstly, everybody is an individual. We all have our individual choices. You can't really tell or assume very much about someone just by having a glance at them and seeing what their, you know, ethnic makeup is or how much melanin is in their skin or whatever. It doesn't really, it doesn't tell you anything about their character. It doesn't actually tell you about their experiences. It doesn't tell you about their social status and so on. But it seems like there's these very sort of simple narratives that are out there, which everyone is supposed to buy into. And it sounds like you're, yeah, it sounds like you're, you're bucking that trend and that assumption, even through your work. Yeah. And, and that is the main problem that the industry faces at the moment, because it's almost glorifying this victim mentality. And the moment you, as let's say what they call fame, so for, the audience that don't know what BAME is, it's Black, Asian, um, minority, ethnic. That's what they they use here. That within itself is limiting a film director because you wouldn't refer to a white filmmaker as, you know, uh, a white filmmaker. You refer to him by his name. You'd say, oh, Christopher Nolan. Oh, you know, Martin Scorsese or... It goes on, Steven Spielberg. But for some weird reason, the UK love putting this label on people of colour, which is, again, I hate using that term, but that's it's become the norm. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. Um, I, I've never been yeah. a fan of that narrative. I don't even, like yourself, I don't even like the term... BAME, I don't like the term people of color. I don't like the term BIPOC, any of these things, because I mean, well, for a lot of reasons, actually. I mean, firstly, they just mean non-white, which is a strange designation. I don't know why we need a specific term to separate, you know, white people from everybody else. Um, unless you're a Klansman, I don't know why that designation is important because there's not a word for, <laughs> there's not a word for non-black people, right? There's not a sort of catch-all term or non-Asian people or non-Arab people or whatever it is. It's a weird term. 
it's also remarkably similar to the term uh, colored people. And somehow, apparently that's super offensive. But if you switch the language a little bit and make it people of color, then that's totally PC. And it's also just setting the idea that all of this, like this is even some type of homogenous group, right? I mean, I don't yeah. know. It, it's simultaneously too specific and too broad, right? It's way too broad, right? Just black people and Asian people and Arab people and Hispanic people and Pacific Islanders or whatever. Let's yeah. throw them all under this label. I mean, even throwing all black people together under one label is not particularly, is not very accurate, right? Just like yeah. um, an Irishman and a Frenchman and a Russian and a Ukrainian and someone from Cyprus and someone from uh, Sweden, right? Like they're not exactly, they might all be quote unquote white in terms of the way we perceive things, but they're not exactly like this. It's not, there's not like a culture that means they're, they're all sort of aligned with the same culture. They don't even speak the same language necessarily. Um, it's a strange term. Like, even though you're very spot on in what you're saying, the difference is, even though all of these, let's say, white filmmakers, right, they've all come from different backgrounds, but they're allowed to tell different stories. Now, if you're a black filmmaker and you're trying to tell a story for example, like an interstellar or an inception. I'm not saying that they won't allow you to do it, but it would be a question of, okay, but does that fit your demographic? But then who is my demographic? So it's almost like they, they sort of align you with the people they think you should be making films for. And that's the problem that we're having now. Mm. Because if I wanted to go make a story, and I've written loads of stories that have nothing to do with your stereotypical gang, drugs, swearing, girls, blabbing. It has nothing to do with that. But yet, when I present these to BAFTA-winning producers, the first note I get is, yeah, we love the story. But one thing, did you make it more urban? Mm. Why? Yeah. Why? If the story doesn't require an urban narrative, why add that? So it's 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 very crazy what the UK are doing. And a lot of people think um it's out of the filmmaker's choice, but it's for the most part it's not. Yeah. And it certainly extends far beyond the UK. I I think actually a lot of this a lot of the terminology even and a lot of these ideas are imported from the USA. I find oftentimes people sort of try to take the racial narrative and history of the USA and sort of slap it right on top of the UK as if the nations have the exact same history and the exact same uh, demographics and the same historical problems and conflicts. And it, it, they're very different nations. And it's ironic because and I, I don't hear a lot of people express this viewpoint, and maybe you may think this way, is it seems like in this over-effort and over-correction to address what people may call systemic or structural or institutional racism, in my opinion, they've imposed a new form of it. Right. Because now they're trying to box, they're trying to box people in. It's the same with music, right? If you're an independent, if you're a rapper. Right. If you're a rapper or like you said, you're or you're a filmmaker or you're just any any creative individual, sometimes just even in the world of business, separate from creativity. If you are a let's say a black man or a black woman, they want you, as you said, to tell a certain story, to have a certain type of lyricism, to rap about a certain topic, to make a movie about a certain topic. To It's, it's very limiting and constrained. You can even extend this to the world of politics. I don't want to get into politics here, but if you are black, you, oh, you must vote for this party or you must have these viewpoints or you must dress this way or you must think this way or whatever. And it's it's people still trying to control you and specifically control your demographic. Whereas, as you've said, if you are not in that demographic, you're free to believe what you want, vote for who you want tell the story that you want, make the type of music that you want. There aren't all these expectations that you need to sort of tell, okay, we've got three stories you're allowed to tell. 
you know, we you you can have your thug and gangster story, or you can have your uh, you know, racism is I'm fighting racism story, or maybe just the or you can have the I'm a victim story, right? Like anything outside of that, that's not that, go ahead. That is, that is the story that they love here, where it's just like if they want you to align so much to their agenda to the point where it's just like the VFI who are the gatekeepers, they will never claim this title, but they are the gatekeepers of the UK film industry. Now, why I say that is for various reasons, but I'll start off here. If you are an independent filmmaker within the UK, unless you're born from a very wealthy family, you're going to need money to make your project. The BFI for you, for the audience who don't know, uh, BFI stands for the British Film Institute, and they are registered as an organised charity. So they're funded by the government, they're funded by the National Lottery as well. And on top of that, they still ask members of the public to donate. Now, the weird thing about what I'm saying is, last year in 2022, they received 6.27 billion with a B. Only 170 million was allocated to independent filmmakers. So that within itself is telling you that the BFI isn't in it to help aspiring or emerging talent because they shifted their focus. So that 6.27 billion, a majority of that was allocated to more high-end TV and film. All of this is on their website. The issue is the UK film like makers, they don't speak up. They don't speak up. So it's almost like they know they're getting screwed, but rather than making a stance, it's almost like, okay, well, you know, it, it is what it is. But that's a weak mentality to have. That's a very weak mentality to have. On, on top of that, they have a checklist of diversity standards. So your story, before you get funding, your story must have a lead female character. They must have a gay person, a disabled person. And it's just like, okay, what about if the story doesn't require this? Do I not get funding? Well, that's exactly what it means. Because I've written various scripts that have nothing to do with any of them. But for that very reason, I haven't been funded. It's very strange. Yeah, it's so interesting. Do you do you know what's what's funny is uh, a week ago, not even a week ago, about four or five days ago from recording this, I was having a conversation with a friend who is uh, a white Englishman who is an actor and a filmmaker himself, and he wants to tell a story which is actually based in Eastern Eastern Europe. He's got a whole story. He's, he's had the script. He's, he's trying to get funding for it. He's, he's doing the same thing. And he's having the exact same problem. So he's struggling to get, he's struggling to get funding because he's trying to make a story where the story is told in Eastern Europe and they're trying to hit all these diversity standards and say, oh, you know, you need more people of color or you need this or you need that. It has nothing to do with the story. And even as a point of an That's actor, he doesn't do as much acting these days because he's struggling to get roles as a straight white man. <laughs> yeah, and, and, it... and that's the thing because a lot of people that watch films, what they think is like, like when the whole, uh, I forgot what film it was, but I know Barbie was one of the recent ones. And it's just like, oh, this like woke agenda and da 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 da. But you have to realize that in order for a project to get greenlit, it needs to check boxes. So it's not like back in the day where you can just like have this idea, put it on the table and be like, this is the film I want to make. And they'll be like, oh, okay, cool. Now it's just like, okay, I like the story, but is there a disabled lesbian trans person there? Oh, there isn't. Why? Bigger. And it's just like, well, I'm not. <laughs> it's just the story doesn't require it. Yeah. So it, yeah, he's going to struggle. He's going mm -hmm. to struggle. When did it get like this? I mean, I know, I know you're a young man, so it's not like you've been in this for decades and decades. But how how has it ended up in this 
in this place. Like I used the term overcorrection before, because that's certainly what it seems to be. I'm sure you could rewind, you know, rewind 60, 70, 80 years ago. And the problem would have been, you know, there would have been a real problem of people of certain races, ethnicities, backgrounds, whatever, you know, being able to have certain opportunities or genuinely being discriminated against. But now it seems like it's it's come full circle and you're actually, they, they've created a new type of discrimination under the banner of diversity, inclusion, and, you know, equity or equality. But actually what they've done is they've stifled diversity. They've stifled meritocracy. They've stifled, stifled different viewpoints and people actually being able to creative and be creative and tell the story that they want to tell. So it seems like they're, they're really sort of shooting themselves in the foot here and shooting the industry in the foot and shooting the audience because they, they've stifled the creativity and it's no longer the best being the best. It's about box ticking and bean counting and trying to force diversity. And yeah, how, how did, how's it gotten here? So to answer your question, I think you have to, you have to go back and look at the types of projects that were being green. So for a very long time, we used to see films with with a solid storyline. The moment they stopped caring about the story and they started caring more about the audience, that to me is where they went wrong because you can't please everyone. So focus on the story. But the moment they started focusing on the audience, you're catering to a small demographic because that demographic might like it, but there's a larger side that don't like it. So for me, that's where it all went wrong when they started pandering to the, the criticism that mm. they started getting, the backlash. And it was just like, okay, if we continue doing this, we're going to lose money. And then it became about the money. And then it was just like, okay, cool. So now let's add more diversity because it worked. But it worked because it was different at the time. Mm. But now they continue doing it to the point where, like you said, they overcorrected. So that, in my humble opinion, is is where they went wrong. Yeah, it's interesting. It really seems like they've jumped the shark as well. I mean... It seems certainly from Hollywood, I don't know how it is in the in the UK, but a lot of these big Hollywood movies and studios down to, you know, Disney, these massive companies are, they're hemorrhaging money because actually the audience is turning against all this stuff because it turns out, lo and behold, that, yeah, sure, people like true diversity, but people don't like forced diversity. People don't like certain things just being sort of shoehorned into their movies and certain agendas come taking priority of the story and the script and the film, you know, the stuff that actually is supposed to matter, the quality. Instead, it's like they're just trying to beat people over the head with a very specific ideology, which doesn't even reflect the audience. Maybe it re reflects the sort of small pool of, of film critics, fil film critics. <laughs> but uh, if, if you see what's going on with some of these big Marvel films and I mean, some of these, you know, what's yeah, the there's a, there's a massive backlash happening now. It's, it's almost like you're right. There, there is a massive backlash happening, but at the same time, I, from what I've witnessed, if people don't like a film, they still go to see the film to complain about the film. The industry thinks like this. We'll put out the film. And they will still go see it, even though they don't like it. And the whole reason why, if no one that actually liked to complain went to go see Bath, then came out of the cinema, went on Twitter or X, and started saying, oh, Barbie and this woke agenda, blah, blah, blah. If they didn't go see it in the first place, the industry would have lost a lot of money in the, in the sales they wouldn't have made a, a return on investment. So it's sort of, they're playing a very smart game where it's just like, yeah, we know what we're doing and we also know that they will still watch it even though they don't like it. They will complain, but we'll just keep doing it. Mm. So that's that's what 
I've per- personally witnessed, especially here in the UK as well. That's interesting. Our podcast today is sponsored by The Wellness Company. Did you know that nearly 90% of pharmaceuticals in the US are produced overseas? That's an alarming statistic. If you don't have an emergency kit on hand, it's time to get prepared. The Wellness Company's medical emergency kit contains eight potentially life-saving medications that every single American should keep in stock. It comes with a 22-page instruction guide on safe medical use for everything from snake bites to COVID to bioterror events. Another stellar product from the Wellness Company is Spike Support. Whether you got vaxxed or not, the virus is still among us in some capacity, as well as the related spike protein. Spike protein can cause brain fog, tissue damage, blood clots, and more. Spike Support is a detoxification powerhouse that aims to strengthen the body's natural immunity and flush out spike protein, so you can get back to that pre-COVID feeling. Get both of these products by going to twc.health forward slash Zuby and get 15% off with the discount code Zuby. That's twc.health forward slash Zuby and use discount code Zuby to get 15% off. Disclosure, the medical emergency kit is only available to U.S. residents. Yeah, well, I, I certainly uh, have spent zero money on Barbie, but <laughs> not, not not necessarily because of any woke agenda, but because I'm a grown straight man and I have no business watching Barbie. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting, I think we're at a really interesting crossroads in many ways. I'm seeing more independent creators and more small companies, whether in the realm of of comic books, video games film, TV, I'm starting to see a resurgence of independent creativity, where all of these problems are now creating an opening where people who are entrepreneurial, or maybe have been financially successful, have got some vision are actually able to, there's there's a whole market that's just opening up for true storytelling. I think it's, I think it's at a very early stage, just sort of in the last three to five years, maybe this is starting to spring up, but I think that it's going to lead to some pretty exciting stuff because I think it's almost just going, going back to basics, just going, going back to the basic, let's focus on the story. Let's focus on getting the right actors. Let's focus on writing a good script. Let's just give the audience something that's great. It's not going to beat them over the head with ideology or try to spite them. That's something you brought up, right? That they're actually trying to spite the audience. And I think that type of marketing can work short term, right? The sort of outrage marketing. Okay, let's make these people angry. And then they'll talk about it and they'll make YouTube videos and they'll rant and rave and we can still profit off of that. I think you can do that maybe for a couple of years. And then it gets to a point where actually, yeah, people do stop buying tickets. People do stop spending that money and so on. And so while that might be bad for the legacy media, I think the same thing's happening in uh, just the news media, by the way, exact same thing is happening, right? The public every year are losing trust and losing faith in all these sort of mainstream institutional media channels. And now you have YouTubers, you have podcasters, you've got all these small companies popping up. So I think on one hand, it's annoying that all of these institutions are, uh, ideologically captured or they're pushing certain agendas and so on. But actually in a way to me, I'm kind of like, okay, well, if that needs to burn down in order for something new and better to rise up, then cool. That's just the market at work. I also kind of feel like there's, there's a cycle of the projects that are being made. Like history does tend to repeat itself. Um, And in the film industry, if you notice Back in the days, like Western films used to be as big as the superhero movies now. So there used to be a lot of Western films, cowboy films, etc., etc. But then slowly that began to die out. So you're seeing a new rise of like superhero films, and then that eventually is going to die out, and then there'll be a new trend. I kind of feel we're in that stage of where these superhero films are dying out and that new trend. But the new trend that's happening, I'm I'm not too sure if it's the whole agenda of trying to, you know, depict men as one way, depict women as another way. And it's just like this sort of condemnation and trying to put the the genders against each other. It's kind of weird, but there's a there's a shift happening. And I don't think many people are are like exposed to to 
what I'm seeing. I don't know. Yeah. I, the thing is, I think people just, the, the thing is, I think for all of human history, regardless of the country, the country, regardless of the culture, there are certain types of stories that just resonate with human beings, right? Like there aren't that many different types of stories, really. I mean, if you if you read fiction books, if you watch movies, if you watch TV shows, if you look at the heroes, the villains, the story arcs, there aren't that many different stories you can tell that people like. People like to hear the same type of story over and over and over again in different formats, right? It can be fantasy, it can be science fiction, it can be a thriller, it can be an action movie, whatever. But there's a certain story arc which human beings just like. And I think that when you go too far against what people expect and anticipate and enjoy, then whether, I, I don't even think people sort of explicitly think of it this way. I think when you're watching a movie, you're not even all that cognizant of what's going on in your mind and in your heart, but you can feel when something is off. I think this is why people get jarred when, so for example, the whole sort of strong female lead trope, Okay. It actually does annoy something, annoy you when you're watching these movies. I don't know how many movies I've seen where you have a small 130 pound woman who is with no superpowers, who's just beating the heck out of dozens and dozens of dozens of giant men. Sometimes they're even armed. And this small woman is just, just elbowing them and kicking them. And I'm, I'm like, this is jarring. This is not jarring because I'm a misogynist or I don't like women or whatever, but it's so unrealistic that it take it takes you out of the story and you're just like this is not yeah. this is not really a female character you've you've taken a you you've made a male character and cast a female to play the male character. <laughs> you, you see what i mean so i think stuff like that just bothers people on a on a certain level and you're 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 just like i don't i don't like this because you know and and not you you can make an awesome you can make a badass female character but she's not going to be if you just try to make James Bond, but you just switch, you just switch him into a woman. It doesn't work anymore because the James Bond character has to be a male. You can't just turn him into a woman and it magically works. There are certain female characters. You can't just replace it with a man and it works. Go ahead. Yeah, but that's that's exactly what I'm saying, because at the moment they don't care about the story anymore. So we've gone past that stage of like, oh, okay, cool. So the story requires the male. They don't care for that anymore. If it's just like, okay, this is a cool story, but would it work with female instead of a male? Well, yeah, we think so. Okay, cast the theme. They don't care about the story anymore. So this is why you, you heard like rumors echoing about like the whole female James Bond. And it was just like, why? And then it was just like, oh, black James Bond, why? And it's just like, we don't need to see that. We can have our own, like, sort of, you know, we can start our own franchise of a James Bond. We don't need to hijack and, like, you know, change him to be inclusive. Yeah, and I think it also annoys people because it's it, it's very condescending. And it's condescending to everybody. You know, you were just talking about the race, the race swapping of characters, especially long running beloved characters who are supposed to have a certain appearance and background and so on. It it annoys people in all directions, right? If you if if you take a character who has been been white for fifty years, and you just <laughs> and then you just turn them into a black woman, they even do it with historical figures or something. It it actually annoys everybody. Right. It, it, anno it annoys white people, obviously, because they're like, wait, they're just trying to, you know, they're just replacing they're just replacing white characters with people who are more melanated. It annoys the majority yeah. of, of sensible uh, black people or people of other backgrounds because it's just tokenization and it's very false. And it's you're just like, look, just we, we we have our own stories and you can create new stories. So and, and it would be the exact same the other way around if you did um a documentary on Martin Luther King or on um on Malcolm X and then you cast <laughs> you cast a woman or you you cast, you cast people are going to be angry you're just like wait why why have you made <laughs> you cast Martin Luther King no sorry you cast Ryan Reynolds as like Martin Luther King 
and it's just like okay that works doesn't it <laughs> yeah it's very like, silly no, you're 100 right you're 100 right and that actually reminds me of um the whole cleopatra uh was it documentary or film that they did what was your thoughts on that i haven't actually seen it i think i've just seen the image wasn't there one as well they did right. Anne, Anne boleyn and they cast a black woman I mean, it, for me, I just the thing, like I said, I, I think it's offensive to everybody. That's the thing that's weird is it's not even like, okay, you're, you're, you're winning over this 50% and you're, you know, maybe sacrificing this other 50%. It's like, maybe you're winning over this 5% and the other 95% yeah. is just like, wait, Ooh. we don't like this. This is, this is weird and condescending and uncomfortable and then they do this annoying thing where they then want to they then want to blame racism right they're there if you always if you don't like your characters being race swapped or if you have any problem with this or if you critique it it's because you're a bigot it's because you're a racist it's because you're a bad person and it's just like no they want to imagine that everyone's just this horrible bigot who hates this and hates that and that's not true i mean how many people people like as i said people like natural diversity in general but people dislike forced diversity right you can release a movie you can put out a with my entire life you've had the whole spectrum of different types of characters male female all different backgrounds different nationalities it's it's never been a problem it only became a problem when they really started trying to force it in ways that are unnatural in which people react to just like wait this is weird this doesn't make sense this is this this is peculiar i mean you can have a movie that's we, you can have a movie with a pretty much all black cast if that makes sense if you're, you're the, the movie is set in nigeria the movie is set in ghana it's set in wakanda a fictional african country whatever right if in black panther they started trying to just sort of throw in random asian people and jewish people and white you everyone again everybody not just black people everyone everyone would be like wait this is weird isn't this if i watch a movie about japan and uh, the samurai era and you've got random white people and black people, <laughs> i'll just be like wait this is yeah. this doesn't make yeah. sense this is weird you actually you're actually making so much sense and the funny thing the most ironic thing about what you're saying is at the moment, I have a script. I can't obviously go into too much detail, but the script that I have, let's say a a portion of it has to do with Africa. Okay? I submitted that to the BFI. And they came back to me, I think like two weeks ago or something, saying that it wasn't diverse enough. So at that point, you're just like, okay, we support black filmmakers, but the story isn't diverse enough. So what else was I missing? When they say, when they said that, were they, were they any more granular and specific? What, what else, what else did no, it need? So what they do when they reject you, it used to be before, because I remember maybe back in 2018 when I applied for funding someone did reply and gave detail as to why and it still had to do with diversity now what they do is they can't be bothered to explain to you anymore so they set out like a automatic an automated response so like sorry your application was rejected and it could be for this reason and it's just like one two three the one two three is diversity experience and too much you're asking for too much money but it's funny because they have the money, right? The experience shouldn't be an issue because that's why they're there. They're there to help emerging talent. The diversity shouldn't be an issue because the story should be the focus. So it's like the UK are doing it all wrong. And it's funny because John Boyega, I think it was in an interview with I think it was like a filmmaking channel called DP30 or something like that. He said the reason why he left the UK was because the roles weren't diverse enough. It was like you would read the script and it would just be like black male, 
um, angry gang member or ex-gang member drug dealer and it was just like okay is there anything else like a black male professor scientist lawyer so he he said look i'm not getting the opportunities to expand my career i'm out so he he left and that was for me the smartest move he could have done but by leaving what he does is almost like the the system doesn't change it just continues because no one's putting their foot down it's like the moment they break through rather than fighting to be like look we need more diversity in the stories that black characters can tell or black filmmakers can tell what they do is they get up and they leave but then the next set of black filmmakers that come in just fall into that whole like black male gang member drug Mm. dealer and it's just like something needs to change yeah that's yeah do you know what's so interesting as as we discuss this because i've had this conversation with people who i I know I, i know quite a few people who obviously work in various creative industries and everyone expresses at least privately everyone expresses these same concerns and complaints so number one obviously people need to just speak up more and i often i always i'm always encouraging people just look if you're concerned about something voice it. If you disagree with something, speak up, say something. I know it can be uncomfortable. I know in the short term, maybe you might lose opportunities and connections, but it's not going to change unless you do. 100%. And I really do hate to cut you off, but this is the problem that we have in the UK. No one speaks up. It's like they know exactly what's going on, but they just they just sit there in the corner, just watching. And the same thing happened with uh, Noel Clark. He was an actor, director, producer, writer. His comfortability in the industry was what let him down. He thought he was one of them. And then they quickly reminded him, no, 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 know your place. So where he felt that comfortability to like reject scripts, because I also reached out to to him as well to be like, yo, I'm a young filmmaker, but I, I have this project and I'd love to collab with you on it. It was like there was no okay, cool, let's let's have a talk. It was just like, nah. So the industry has a way of bringing you up, keeping you at the top, and if you step out of line, they'll put you back in your place. Mm. And that's that's the cycle that happened with them. So yes, you have to speak up, but you have to also know that with speaking up comes these consequences. And a lot of people are too scared because, again, there's bills to pay. And if you're not making money, you're not paying your bills. So it's almost like they're using the money, they're using your career, and it's just like, okay, how much do you really want this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Do you you know what I think is really needed at this stage? Because, look, there, there are people who think that these institutions can just be reformed I don't know. I think they might be too far gone. And what I what I really encourage and support is alternatives. I think with every, every time you hear a problem, especially if it's a consistent problem that a lot of people are talking about, they're actually presenting you with an opportunity, right? They're signaling, okay, there is an opportunity. Okay, there's there's the the BFI. Where is the second or third? alternative what are the alternative bfis um and if that doesn't exist who's going to create it there is none and this is why they get away with what they're doing because Mm -hmm. there's no one challenging them i would love my production company which is a a, it's a very new startup company and i started that with my best friend harry and we speak about this all the time and it's just like okay we need to challenge them but we need the capital so I've reached out to various different like uh, companies, like different countries as well, like Saudi. And, and it's just like all of these people, like I know Saudi are working on their own um, film industry. Like they're, they're looking to, to expand the cinema and like the filming uh, productions that are happening. So I've tried to bridge the gap. But it's almost like even that within itself is difficult and has its own hurdles. But 
the BFI gets away with what they're doing because they there is no competition. Mm-hmm. There is none. And like I said to you, they will never claim that they are the gatekeepers because with that means that there is responsibility that comes with that. So then you start looking into, okay, so if there is funding, why is it that there's only a limited amount of filmmakers that are like independent filmmakers that are getting funding? And then you turn your attention to, okay, they don't really care because they're caring about the films like Maverick, um, Barbie, etc. And it's just like, okay, cool. These production companies already have that capital. Why are you funding them? It's the independent directors and producers that need the money. And remember, they're a charity. So it's, it's like, okay, the charity is funding the big corporations. Nice one. Yeah. I, I do think this is all going to change. I think this is all going to change this century. One of my big, I, I, I'm very excited by uh, the, the this century we current, currently live in. We're still in the first quarter of it. And I don't think people realize just how much stuff is going to change this century. I think that every industry, every structure, every institution, it's all going to be disrupted. We've already seen it happen with a few things. I think higher education is going to be completely disrupted this century. I think that uh, the way we even view nations and countries and immigration and all that is going to be massively disrupted. The way that we view money, it's going to be disrupted. All of these things that have ossified, they've served their purpose for a long time. You've had these institutions down to the, the governments and whatever, these political parties, they've been around for hundreds of years They've sort of served their role. They've gotten fat. They've gotten lazy. They've gotten greedy. They've been monopolizing. And little by little, you're going to see increased increased competition. Uh, it's already it's already happening. It's more obvious in some areas than in others. So while I think, yeah, all of this is a problem, this monopolization of the film industry is a problem, but I'm like, the more they do that, and in fact, the more dogmatic they are with it, and the more people they shut out, and the more people they annoy, the more people they frustrate, you're just creating a bigger and a bigger opening for what's probably going to be a pool of entrepreneurs, a pool of people who it's not going to just be one person, but a group of people who have money, who have means, who have been successful, who have connections, and they just start an alternative thing. Okay. They're turning you down. They're pushing this. They're pushing that. Okay. How about you can come to us and we'll fund your money and we'll, and we'll take a cut and the audience like this. And then you know, how many blockbusters is it going to take for that to, within, you know, within five to 10 years, that thing now becomes a very viable competitor. And what happens even when you have competition, of course, is it forces everybody to get better. Because if you don't, then you go out of business. We've seen this in our own lifetime. I mean, if you rewind 15 years ago, um, do you remember what the biggest gym in the UK was? Do you remember the biggest gym chain? You used to see them everywhere in the UK. Think back to like 2008. What was the gym you saw everywhere in the UK, all over London, all over other cities? Fitness First. You remember Fitness First? Fitness First had hundreds of gyms across the UK. They don't even... They they were everywhere. They were everywhere. Even in the corporate, you'd see people with the backpacks. They've been completely blown out of the water by... Companies that didn't even used to exist. You started getting pure gym popping up, the gym, whatever, right? 24-7 model, much cheaper, much more convenient, similar amenities. Competition comes in. And if you don't, if you don't change, you go out of business. So I think this is just going to happen across the board. I think that all of these organizations and groups and whatever, where, and in many cases, you've had the same people in power for decades and decades and decades. Um they're not going to be able to hold on to that forever. I see the same thing with the news media, with the traditional media. You know, they've, they've had this power for such a long time. UK, US, it doesn't matter. You could be talking BBC, CNN, uh, Fox News, Sky News. It, it doesn't matter. All of them. You've now got guys on YouTube. You've got podcast. Do you know who the most listened to man in the United States of America is? Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is the most yeah. listened to man in the entire nation. I've been on his show twice. He has, he has like four staff. It's him and a couple, right? Like it's him, Jamie. He's getting more listens. He's getting more views than 
the people at CNN, the people at Fox News, multi-billion dollar corporations. And like, if you think of it, that, that, nice. that's mind blowing. That, that's, that's crazy. That's like you're saying, like, and I agree with you. That is exactly what we need. That is exactly what we need. But again, if we're bringing it back to the film industry, there's not like, unless you have that capital, I don't think you can make that change. And you're going to need someone that's very, very wealthy yes. to challenge these establishments. Do you understand? That's, this I, is why I, I reached out I, to... I understand completely. Do you, do you, and do you know where I think it's going to come from? And, and you've actually mentioned it already. I would not be surprised if a lot of the investment and challenge comes from the Middle East. I'm in Dubai right now yeah, as we I... record this. Uh, you were talking about Saudi Arabia, the country where I grew up. And I see where these countries are going. I see all the things they're trying to do. I see the amount of entrepreneurs. And I was just just before recording this, Tyrese, I was having a conversation with a guy who is working for a new film and production company that is based here in the UAE and is going to start to rival some of the Hollywood studios. So there is stuff happening. I think people might not even be aware of it because they're not traveling around so much, but you know, and it's 2023. Okay, right now it might be like, oh, we don't need to worry about that. That's not a challenge. I'm like, hey, give it five years, give it 10 years, give it 20 years, and you will be amazed. There's going to be big names that collapse, and there's going to be names that you haven't even heard of right now, and they're going to become the big dogs. And that's, that's how I love to work, because although having a big name actor on your project is always the ideal, working with an unknown actor and nurturing that talent to, to become the next, you know, Denzel or, you know, Leonardo, etc. It's about giving the actors the opportunity as well as, you know, trying to find yourself as a creative at the same time. So simultaneously. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about uh, the projects that you're working on. Where is it that you want to take it all in the future? So right now, the projects that I have in, like, in in the works, mostly, it's to set it's to set up a foundation of breaking that barrier of black directors consistently telling the same types of story. So I sort of want to allow other creatives to come under my wing as well. And sort of like break that combinement of of the industry norm because there's a lot of things that happens on film sets and it's just like oh you must do this you must do that but you don't have to do that so the projects that I'm working on working on allow not only the um, the actors but also the crew to express their creative freedom it gives them that that sort of like environment to be creative. That's awesome, man. Tyrese, man, we could we could talk for a long time. Um, I know there's a lot of frustrations here, but as I said, I, I'm very optimistic about this. I think we're at the super early stage of a lot of upcoming innovation, upcoming challenge, a lot of entrepreneurs and creative people just bringing, just bringing up something new in this next generation that's going to challenge all of these legacy systems i'll call them legacy systems legacy legacy institutions where you you've had the same people i mean you know i, I i'm not a super political guy but you know i'm well known in in certain political spaces and even when you look at these it's not as bad in the uk but i mean if you look in the us and you look at the political parties and you look at the leaders i'm like you've got people who are 70 80 years old who are still like just running everything and holding on to the it's like there's going to be new blood there's going to be new people coming in with new ideas who are getting an investment from some unique sources and who are just able to create cool things. Maybe it'll start out much lower budget, right? Maybe it'll start out much lower budget, but you will have a low budget movie. I mean, it's already happening. If you look at something like, um, what's a good example of the sound of freedom, right? This was a movie from an independent studio, which had been shelved previously by Disney, relatively small budget. And the movie was a massive success. It made way more money and had way more viewers than some of these films where they're spending 200, 300, 400, half a billion, half a billion dollars, and they still can't even break even. So to me, I'm just, I look at all that and I'm like, okay, good. 
Good. And, and and it also, it's not just about the money. It's also, it's encouragement for other people. It shows people, Hey, this is possible. You can, you can make something that is just brilliantly creative and tells a fascinating story and spreads through word, word of mouth and social media. And you can take on, you can take on these, these big companies. So I, I'm, I'm personally excited. I'm personally excited for it all. I'm excited to see what happens in the music industry, what happens in the film industry, what happens with governments, what happens in the banking industry, what happens in real. I think every single market, there's going to be so much innovation over the next few decades. And it's a little bit scary in a way because it's not what we, you know, we don't know exactly where it's going and we don't know what to expect. And we've kind of maybe become comfortable with the old systems. But I think there's going to be a lot of new and innovative systems that are that are coming out. Very quickly, um, how was it for you breaking out as a independent musician? Was mm. it easy? Oh no! Was there ever <laughs> an opportunity you signed and you said no? Like, it, yeah, man, dude, it, it's it's always been difficult. It's always been difficult. Music is man, music and comedy and film, all these, they're very difficult, especially if you are someone who's not totally in the matrix, or you're not someone who fits their exact bill of, you know, what they want. Fortunately for me, I, I worked that out very early. And, you know, by 19, 20 years old, I'd already decided. Oh, wow. it, it, yeah, it's part of why that I, um, you know, I, I never called myself an unsigned artist. I always called myself an independent artist. Right. Because unsigned suggests that I'm trying to I'm trying to get signed. I'm trying to get with the label. I want I want Simon Cowell and all these other executives to care. And I was just like, you know what? I, I can just I can just go straight to the customer. I can just go straight yeah. to the customer. I, I used to sell my CDs on the street for over a decade. And then I started doing pop up shops in the UK, selling my CDs, my T-shirts, my hats, my hoodies. And I sold tens of thousands of albums with no just support from the people. Right. I was able to keep myself afloat. Wow doing all that. And now with everything I do from my music to my, this is a completely independent podcast and tens of thousands of people listen, more than tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have listened to it. Millions of people have listened to my podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, I've got 2 million followers now on social media organically. Um, I do public speaking all over the world. Everything I do, the books I've released, I've released two books and I've released them both independently. Yeah. My first book has now sold over 12,000 copies without even being on Amazon right? Made over half a million dollars from that book independently. And this is not to boast or brag, but this is just to show people what's possible. You can just go straight instead of cutting. I, I need this middleman and this middleman and this middleman. You can just create something cool. It could be a book. It could be a podcast. It could be a TV show. It could be a video, whatever the format is. Yeah. Look, if you, if you want to make a whole movie, of course, that's going to require some, some financial investment. But even with that, do you know what I did? Do you know what I've done with three of my albums? I went to Kickstarter instead of going to a label, right? I, I'll actually, let me, let me tell you an interesting story because for years, um, before I reached any type of financial success, um, I, I spent many times applying for programs that were, um, you know, you put, maybe, you know, like the PRS music foundation in the UK and they would offer, you could, uh, op, you could apply to get grants, grants between, um, say 3,000 and 15,000 pounds for your music project or for your tour, for your whatever. I applied six times, six times. And by the way, this is having sold tens of thousands of albums and done my own independent tours. And, you know, I wasn't slacking and I got rejected every single time. I'm just there like, hey, I'm trying to get 10 grand for my new music project. And I, I got rejected every single time. And then, I mean, my 2021, I, I've done three Kickstarter campaigns. The first one, the first Kickstarter campaign I did was in 2014, if I remember correctly, that generated, I raised 8,000 pounds in 30 days. My second Kickstarter project was in 2018. I raised 15,000 pounds in 30 days. My third Kickstarter project, which was in 2020, I raised 75,000 pounds in 30 days, I raised over $100,000 just from my own audience, my own fans, my own supporters. I said, guys, I'm making a new album. I'd like you to support me. Here's an opportunity to support me. And they sent me over $100,000 to make my album and to make my music videos and so on. 
So I've gone from begging, please give me five grand, please give me 10 grand so that I can, you know, do this and tour it and whatever. And then you go to the people after you've built up, so you, you, you've built yourself up and it's amazing. One of my friends, uh, Eric July in Texas, he's someone you should definitely check out. He started a comic book company called the Ripperverse in on his first book, his first book, he raised over a million dollars in one day. He's now raised over $6 million across three projects, over $6 million independently for his comic book, for his comic book company, wow. right? He's taking on Marvel. He's taking on DC. He's just started this thing. And the industry is shook. The comic book industry, like they're shook. They're like, how is this guy? One, again, one black guy from Texas. <laughs> he's he's just he's blowing us out the water he's selling more copies than they are the marvels the dc like it's amazing and this is this is this is what i'm saying this is why i'm so like optimistic and inspired because i'm seeing people doing it and i'm just like man this is going to keep happening this is the new trend um and people ultimately want quality so if the big if the big dogs are not giving them quality they're going to look see all these independents out there find them on x find them on youtube find them on podcasts, find them wherever they are. And be like, you know what? I like that guy. Yeah. I like what he's creating. Let me go support that person. And so I think this is the way of the future. I can relate to everything you were saying in terms of like being rejected that many times because it's the same exact thing for, for me as well. It's just like, even though I do have the accolades and I, I have the projects to back it up, they will still go and commission another um, director just solely based because she's a female not even because she has the accolades or you know the story is good it would just be based off of tokenism so in a way it's similar but different at the same time so yeah it's yeah. similar man but um i mean I, I i would just say to you man i'm sure you, you don't need to hear it but keep the faith man keep the faith just keep on working hard keep on grinding um keep building your audience i mean you know thousands of new people have are going to discover you from listening to this podcast. And what I love about it as well now is we live in such a, I was going to say we live in a global world, which is a bit of a silly thing to say, but people have never, the world has never been smaller. We're so interconnected yeah. now. So even if maybe, you know, the UK is a couple years behind on this front, you might find, oh, okay, there's an opportunity here in the US or, oh, there's an opportunity in Qatar or there's an opportunity in Colombia or there's, it's so, it's so incredibly global now. And people are just finding each other, like-minded people, people with the same views, ideas, frustrations, complaints, whatever it is, they're all just connecting and finding each other. So I think that really bodes well. That, that's never been the case before. We've always been a lot more landlocked and isolated. Whereas now, you can you can put out a movie online. Uh, you've you've done this before, right? I, I'd be curious to know how many how many different nations have people watched your work from. Do you know that? Well, it was yeah. It was I had people from India. I had people from Philippines. It was just all over, like Germany. So yeah, it's very diverse. And I think the the most shocking part of it was how many people from the UK were actually supporting the work that I was doing because <laughs> it's like I had to support but not from the companies but it was from like the the actual people so mm. yeah, it was it was kind yeah. of and, a good feeling and and a good way to think about it as well and this is something I really learned you know just way back from being an independent musician is ultimately it's all about the audience because the only reason you even want those third parties or the industry to care about or whatever is to reach the actual audience. So I just learned ages ago, if you can just go direct to the audience, like I, I've had friends in the music world who they're spending so much time and money, say, trying to get on the radio. They want their song on the radio, right? And they're chasing BBC, they're chasing radio pluggers that I need to hire this PR company. They're spending, maybe they release a single and they spend 10,000 plus pounds trying to get it on the radio. And I'm like, why do you want your song on the radio? And they're like, so more people are here. I was like, why don't you take that 10,000 pounds and work out how you can go straight to the people? You see what I mean, right? If you think 10,000 pounds is a lot of money. If you think creatively with that, you, you can make a music video, 
you can press up thousands of, of CDs or USB sticks or whatever with your single. You can print up thousands of flyers. You can do a campaign. You could do, you could do a small number of shows. Maybe you don't even rent a venue. Just go into a park and, and do shows, whatever. Like, I'm just like, just go, go straight to the people. Just go straight to the people. Sometimes, and this is just me completely just throwing it out there. Perhaps for most people, it's the idea of not necessarily being shy, but it's almost like a prideful thing where it's just like, uh, like I, I could do that, but mm, I, I kind of want to do it the, the way the industry works. Where why? it's just like, F the, F I the want industry, to manage. F the industry. This is why, uh, <laughs> this is part of why, uh, you know, my, my two favorite rappers are Jay-Z and Tech 9 um, and it's not just because of their technical rapping skills, which are amazing, but it's also because of their independent entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I remember Tech Nine, yep. more maybe 20 years ago, he did a campaign called FTI, F the industry, right? And he 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 literally took his own money and he was renting ad slots on American television and radio, putting out things saying F the yep. music and saying. <laughs> Saying like he was directly challenging the music industry. And then this guy's just been, I mean, he's on the Forbes list every year and he's totally independent, totally independent. He's never, he's never been signed to a major or whatever. Just, he just tours. He does hundred plus shows a year. He releases a new album. The guy's been in the game for man, 30 years at this point, he sold millions of albums and he's done it all off his own back. Like, and I'm just like, man, that is, that is it. Cause I remember again, because he he was always like a little bit weird. He didn't fit. He didn't fit the bill of what people expected as a rapper, right? You know, th think back to late '90s, early 2000s. There, there was like a very specific, very specific image. Kanye West had some of the same problems because the the biggest artist at the time was 50 Cent. It was all 50 Cent. It was all G Unit. It was all like diplomats. It was all like like it was very you know very different style of rap and then Kanye West comes along and it's a lot more conscious and softer and he's dressed differently and whatever and at the beginning people were like man like this guy doesn't fit in like why should we give this guy an opportunity oh and he's a producer and now needless to say look at what Kanye West achieved over the decades and you know people suddenly forgot that oh this is the same guy that we were saying is not gonna is not gonna make it right um and so that's how it goes that's so true, and you you yeah. hit the nail on it. Said, <laughs> awesome, Tyrese. I know you're not a I know you're not a big social media guy, but um, where can people? Yeah. Is there anywhere that people can find and follow you, or where they can check out your existing work? Um, yeah, so I'm not on social media, but a majority of the projects that I've done is on YouTube. Uh, you can go check out Horns on the Omeletto channel. It'll it'll be there. I think it has. Two million views at the moment um yeah so i i have put out a lot of content on on youtube awesome i'll make sure i put um i'll make sure i put a couple links in the description so that anyone who's listening you can go check out tyrese's work and support it awesome man thank Please, you so much thank you your podcast as well i actually really appreciate it you're most welcome man keep up the good work and uh keep the faith man you too Sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame.